Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast sponsored by Overdrive. Emma here, and today I get to chat with Emily Henry. Emily Henry is the number one New York Times bestselling author of People We Meet on Vacation and Beach Read, as well as several young adult novels. She lives and writes in Cincinnati and the part of Kentucky just beneath it. Her books have been featured in BuzzFeed, Oprah Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, The New York Times, The Skim, Shondaland, and more. She's here today to talk about her new novel, Book Lovers, out May 3rd. Hi, Emily. Welcome. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I went back and forth a little bit with Danielle on your team, and I basically was just raving about this book and if we could possibly fit it into your schedule to get this conversation on the book. So I'm so excited that you're here. Oh, thank you. I really am so excited to be here. I'm like, yeah, just ready to dive into it. So first things first, can you tell our listeners what Book Lovers is about? Yeah. Um, so Book Lovers is the story of Nora Stevens, who is this ambitious sort of cutthroat, seemingly fairly cold literary agent who lives in New York City. And her job is the most important thing to her. Um, but she has other things going on. And one of those things is she is a very um, cautious, thoughtful dater in that she's always looking for someone who just checks all the boxes and should be her perfect match. But what keeps happening is Nora keeps getting dumped by those men over and over again for women who are her polar opposite, sort of like small town local sweethearts who like run bakeries or work on their family Christmas tree farm outside of the city and all of that. And so Nora kind of has this idea that she is um, sort of like the villainess in a small town romance novel. That's kind of like what her role is. And because of this, her younger sister Libby convinces Nora that they should get away out of the city for a few weeks and Nora can kind of have her own transformative small town love story like her ex-boyfriends keep having. And Nora doesn't super care about that, but she wants to spend time with her sister. So she does that. Um, and while she's there, you know, she's supposed to be like letting her hair down and like trying different things out and getting to know different kinds of people. But she keeps running into her nemesis from back in the city Charlie Lastra, who is this sort of brooding, decisive, also seemingly cold editor who rejected Nora's um, client's book that went on to become this huge hit. And she's just like resented him and disliked him ever since then. So she keeps running into him. She doesn't know why he's there. Um, but fate keeps pulling them together. And he's just this little pocket of the city that's disrupting her small town adventure. I love this book. This 
was such a good story because the characters were so engaging and charming and you described it really well. They seem to have sort of boxed themselves into these roles within their own lives. And it's really interesting to see them maybe realize that that isn't the case and that they are not always necessarily like the villains in their own story. Like they deserve love too. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's like so common for us to kind of think of ourselves as characters or archetypes. And I, I think of like the coming of age story as being sort of a renegotiation of that. And I feel like I'm always excited to write about characters who really think they know themselves and then are like, oh, surprise, I've been like very wrong all along and I need to kind of like rebuild my identity. Exactly. It seems like Nora and Charlie really make each other think about the things they've always assumed about themselves. Yeah. And so what was the inspiration for Nora and Charlie's story? Yeah. So the inspiration, it really, it started with watching a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies, which I am like the person who gets a Hallmark subscription, like for two months of the year and then removes it as long as I remember to, um, and just watch so many of those. And, you know, like if you've seen like three of those, then you know (laughs) that it's a fairly common premise to have this city, like big wig get sent to a small town to like do something horrible to like the locals, basically just like fire everyone who works at the uh, toy factory there or, you know, run, yeah, run the Christmas tree farm out of business or whatever. And, and that's sort of the vehicle for the main character to fall in love with this person who changes their entire perception of what they want out of life and what is a good life and all of that. Um, And I love those stories so much, but there's oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes there is a romantic partner in the beginning of the story where the main character has this girlfriend in the city or whatnot. And when he goes to like small town Vermont to do his job, he keeps getting phone calls from this girlfriend. Who's like, why have you not fired everyone yet? Like do your job and get back to the city. Like whatever. She just doesn't get it. Um, And she's kind of there to be a foil so that you can see like, that's his old life that is not good for him. And then here's this life he could have. And here's this woman he could have. Who's also totally different from this woman, um, you know, from the city girlfriend. And I was really fascinated by that character, first of all, because I just like kind of like tickled myself with the thought of like a woman who keeps getting dumped in this very specific scenario where her boyfriend like goes out of town for work and is like, just kidding, I'm moving to um, Minnesota, whatever. I was like, thought that was just like innately funny as a premise. But then I also was so intrigued because it's like, if your boyfriend got sent out of town, to do this job. And then you're calling and saying like, just do it already. Just fire everyone. Like there's a reason that you feel so strongly about that. And I just was really curious, like what would make this villainess who she is? Why does she care so much about her work? Why does she, you know, not have a ton of sympathy for her boyfriend in this situation? Um, Like, how does she see the world? How, how does she, kind of justify the way she feels about things. And I just, yeah, I just thought like, if a character is going to be that kind of over the top, then there's got to be reasons behind it. And so I thought it would be really fun to write about Nora specifically going through, you know, um, kind of like the same thing that she's seen happen to all the men in her life. But I wanted also to kind of challenge that where it's like, does she need to end up in a small town to be happy? Does she need to leave her 
big job to be happy? Like, is it possible that you can like <laughs> love your job and love living in a big city and um, not be a villainess? Yeah. And I love that you flipped that premise sort of on its head a little bit, because we do see a lot of those like rom-com hallmarky movies where you kind of immediately dismiss, you know, that original girlfriend or boyfriend or whomever. And you're like rooting for this new small town couple. Like, of course he's going to ditch like the cold city girl for the baker or whatever. And I, I thought from the first chapter, this was so funny to pick up with Nora being the woman left behind in the city and like how you would feel in that, that situation and kind of looking at that from that character's perspective, who we so easily dismissed kind of in those films is like, oh, okay, good riddance. He can yeah, you know, move right. on to the, the innkeeper or the yes. baker. Exactly. So I loved that. And I was uh, laughing from the first chapter, laughing out loud at oh just the gosh. setup of that. Thank you. That's great to hear. Um, so I'm curious because Nora seems like such a strong figure if you have like a Nora in your life, I mean, and your experience with the sort of literary publishing scene, or if that was just kind of, again, inspired by those, those Hallmark Lifetime movies. Well, it was definitely inspired by those, but you know, I like the whole point was I wanted to take this sort of two-dimensional character and then dig in really deep and figure out who she actually is. And I, I did not, I don't think I knew at the time that I wrote, like, you know, Nora's obsessed with her Peloton because in those movies, those women are always like on their treadmill or whatever. Um, and I thought like she would be obsessed with her Peloton. And I don't think that at the time I knew yet that my, my agent actually does have a Peloton. And she was like, when she first read it, she was like, well, <laughs> I'm feeling some somewhat dragged by this because I love my Peloton so much. Um, so they're like, you know, there are definitely little pieces of I've had two agents my first agent retired and she's a a writer now and still a good friend but both of my agents there are pieces of them that have kind of like wormed their way into Nora but I also have several several of my closest friends are older sisters who are kind of in that caretaker role and I'm not an older sister I have brothers and I'm the youngest but it's always been fascinating to me to see that relationship because it's so different from my relationship with my siblings. Like it's, you know, I have sisters-in-law and now I'm kind of like, okay, I kind of like understand the sister thing now. And that's really cool, but it's like the most intense relationship ever. I feel like is between sisters. There's so much of like, I love you. I hate you. And it like flips back and forth by the minute. And again, like that caretaker role, it's interesting because I do think of the older sisters that I'm close with. And they are like these caretakers who are secretly so soft and so sensitive and so caring. But a lot of times they are like kind of this blunt personality that's like they've had to be the rock and the fortress for the the younger siblings in their lives. And um, in a way that's kind of made it so they just like will not take anybody's crap. They're just like, I don't have time for that. I'm very busy. Um and honestly, when I was writing Nora, you know, like when, when people we meet on vacation came out, I was really worried. Everyone was going to think Poppy was so annoying. Um, but with Nora, I was like, everybody's going to think Nora is like, so like rude and mean. And I was so scared because I feel so protective of her. And it's been really nice seeing like the early response of people who are like, I am Nora. Um, and that's, you know, but yeah, so totally, she came from both archetypes I was excited about. And then people I know. Nora is great. I think 
I relate to that a lot. I'm the oldest of three, but I do have younger brothers. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting about Libby and Nora is that like their relationship, they do have a lot to work through Oh yeah, uh, in the book. (laughs) And it's so hard to talk about this without spoilers, but they do kind of have maybe that unbalanced relationship that maybe siblings have where the older sister or like Nora carries a lot of weight in that relationship. And Libby maybe doesn't even know about that. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was really well conveyed that that sort of as the older sibling, you might even be doing things, you know, in that relationship that you're not aware that you're even doing, you know, protecting your younger siblings from things that they as adults, like don't need you to protect them and and vice versa. Um, So I thought that was a really well done relationship that you did there with that sister dynamic. And I was going to ask you a question about it, but you very naturally brought it up already. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, thank you. I'm really glad that you connected with that. I think you're so right. It's like that line for the oldest sibling. A lot of times it's like best friend slash sort of a parent. (laughs) And you're like, those are two very different relationships. And as you get older, obviously like the younger siblings, it's like, they either just are used to it and like accept it. Or they're like, I resent that I'm independent, leave me alone. Um, and it was just just really fun to write. Exactly. So I have to ask if sunshine falls is inspired by a real place or what the, what the inspiration and sort of vibe was for sunshine falls, North Carolina. Yeah. So it's not, it's not inspired by a real place, but, um, I I knew I wanted to do like a mount kind of mountainous setting and Asheville is like fairly close to where I am. And so that seems like, and I have like a lot of friends who live there. So it seemed like a pretty good way to make sure I'm like getting the right research to make it feel really real and lived in. And when I did have a reader friend who's a writer friend who read for me, who lives in Asheville, she was like, actually, this town reminds me of, I think the town that it reminded her of might've been called Black Mountain. I could be wrong now. It's been a while. So I did, once she kind of mentioned a real place, then I looked at that and I was, you know, reading about that town and looking at um, pictures of it and kind of modeling it after that. But I also just was like, this is going to be just really leaning into what I think would happen if you tried to go to the real setting from like, you know, a Hallmark movie and just are like, in some ways it's really idyllic and cute and cozy the same way it is in the movie. And in other ways you're like, this is basically like a ghost town. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, it, t- it takes some influence from real places, but mostly I just wanted to have like the scenery of the Asheville area, like the mountains and the colors and the trees and the flowers and all of that. I love the description of the small town because I do think that's so true. There are like really charming, cozy parts. Um, and then sometimes there is like that random, like the, the dive bar in town where their salad is basically just like pieces of ham. Yeah. And that, I will say that was based on a real salad (laughs) and it's like a a place, a local place. I used to go for like work lunches when I had a different job. Um, and I had no interest in this place, but my whole team loved it. And I would go and be like, I want a salad. And then it would show up and it was just like iceberg lettuce covered in cubed ham, which is like, this is not what I thought I was getting. (laughs) I thought those little details though, made it just feel so real. Like this yeah. is exactly what you would get if you yes. went to someplace like this or like yeah. to a sports bar or a dive bar. And mm-hmm. you're from somewhere that maybe has, 
you know, New York has abundant food options. Right. You can find literally anything to go somewhere and just like want a salad and it's yes. just chunks of ham. <laughs> yes. It's so real. It really is so real. And I feel like too, like whenever you're on a driving trip and you just stop in a town that you know nothing about, that's like the experience. Your options are like, maybe there's like an Applebee's where you know what's on the menu. And then other than that, it's like, here's the local place. You're welcome. Exactly. It just felt so true to life there. Uh, in a little bit of a change of topic, I thought this was a really spicy kind of like enemies to lovers story, which is my favorite. And I'm wondering if you have a favorite sort of romance trope that you love to read or write. Yeah. Um, and if this, if that might be one of them. Oh, it's definitely one of them. That's my favorite. I think when it, when it, it's like, I feel like I'm very not very picky about it. Like I'll read almost any <laughs> romance novel, I feel like, but the ones that I really love, I feel like are few and far between with the enemies to lovers trope, but it's like what I'm always searching for. Um, in historical romance specifically, like I absolutely love reading marriage of convenience stories. And I'm like, someday, I mean, I know there are people who've played with that in contemporary um, romance as well. And so I, I probably need to read some of those and see if I can get the same vibes um I don't know like there's uh my, my friend Martha who writes historical romance um talks about there being like sub tropes and just like the little mini things and I think those are the things that I get so excited about and it is the stuff of like um the one bed or like this the one of them is sick and the other one has to care for them like I love just all of the little details that you can find in a lot of romance novels um but yeah, I think anything like anything done well, I'm like, you can get, if you can get me on board, I'm going to love it. I'm glad this was, uh, I loved this because it was like, you could feel the tension in certain moments where, you know, anything like a brush of the hand is like so yeah. charged in those moments. Um, I thought this was so well done. And I, I enjoy books that are pretty spicy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought this was, was a really good amount of spice for my personal taste. <laughs> so I loved this. Oh, good. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I feel like my first two books were really just kind of like trying to introduce people to the romance genre. And now I am sort of like, okay, I might be writing spicier books and I hope readers are prepared for that. <laughs> yeah. I it also depends on the so. couple. Yeah. It's so Agreed. fun. Yeah. I think it's really fun. And I, this book, um, I'll just keep raving. It did check all my boxes for me. I love enemies to lovers. We love spice, love small town again, like loved the sort of flipping the Hallmark movie trope on its head. Um, I actually started reading this book in an attempt to get out of like a reading funk. Yeah. Um, I had just read the new Sarah J Moss book. Uh, which is wild. Yeah. 800 pages. And so I like finished that, had no idea what to do. And I had a, your uh, book, book lovers sitting on my desk. And I was like, all right, we're going to read this. It's going to be great. And then I actually was incredibly sad because when this book ended, I really didn't want it to. And I was oh. like, well, that did the opposite. <laughs> I'm just like in a, in another oh. sort of like book hangover. But that's amazing that you had two back to back because that is the worst feeling when you finish like this behemoth of a book mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, do I want to try and find other like fantasy romance to like, or, you know, fill the void or do I need to do something totally different? And like, 
it is such a huge honor to, to hear that you finished something you really loved and then like, were able to like my book. Cause I know that feeling I, so well. Yeah. It's, uh, that's like, I feel like that's a really daunting position. I put your yeah. book in to yes, be like, all right, what comes next after, you know, this book I'd been like hyping up and yeah. whatever. And I, yeah, I read book lovers right after I read it in about two days. And then I immediately told everybody that I knew like at overdrive that had a copy or like had access to the arc. I was like, you need to read this right now. We need to discuss. I need you to read it. And then I had immediately emailed, I think the team at at penguin random house. And I was like, so is Emily Henry doing interviews? (laughs) Yay. The rest is history. The rest is history. And this, this book was, um, yeah, it was hard to recover from. I honestly don't remember what I read afterwards <laughs> because that was, again, that hard position to be in is like, what do you read next? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, at least you're self-aware about it because I think that's the thing. It's like, if you pick, there's so many times I pick something up and I'm like, it's just not happening right now. And it's nothing, it's nothing wrong with the book. It's what I just read has destroyed me mm-hmm. and I need some time to recover. Exactly. And so speaking of your books, all of them are like sort of very bright and colorful and eye-catching. And I'm wondering, um, Book Lovers is no exception. The cover is like a gorgeous blue. If you have um, a lot of input in the cover designs or um, like how intentional are those bright colors? Yeah, I, I luckily, it's not a given. I'm sure, you know, with how many author interviews you, you do, you know, it's not a given that you'll get a ton of say but I really appreciate that my team has kept me really looped in and they really are so considerate of my thoughts and feelings, but I'll also say, I really want people to find my books. So if the sales team, you know, that it's always like this big conference is like how the, the covers get made where it's like the editor, the agent, the author all might have thoughts and they give those to the designers and the artists and they'll toy around and then they'll show it to sales and marketing and be like, do you think people will buy this? So um, you know, like the tone kind of got set with beach read where we knew very specifically, like we wanted it to feel super warm and inviting and we wanted it to look like a romance with like the little, little illustrated people, but we also wanted it to look like a little bit more, um, like book clubby or something. Um, I don't really, it's like such a hard thing to quantify, but we were, we were just kind of trying to like split that and see if we could kind of pull in romance readers, but also non-romance readers, soon to be romance readers. Um, And yeah, so so moving forward, like I remember for people we meet on vacation, we actually, I don't remember what color we started with, but we definitely had like a really hot pink at one point that we all expected to like love. And we didn't like it as much as the orange. And so, you know, there's just like a ton of little things that it goes back and forth and I'm, I'm very, lucky and grateful that they have been considerate of me. And then also, like I said, I know, I don't know how to sell anything. I only know how to, how to write books. And so if they have thoughts about that, I'm always like, yeah, <laughs> that's your job and you're good at it. And I'm not going to like step on anyone's toes there. I think that's great that you have uh, such a good team. Yeah. I think they do an amazing job. I love the covers and I'm actually surprised that the, the U S and the UK covers of book lovers are so different. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I think that's, it's so interesting, all the differences in those two markets, but I think that with, um, with the UK market, like, I think they really wanted to tap into that, like book club reader versus romance reader. And that's why it's like a little bit less, you know, 
people focused on the covers. Mm -hmm. It's more just like pretty colors, pretty setting, whatever. Um, And yeah, I love, I love both of them. And my UK team has also been really great about like letting me have input and making sure that I'm happy. And it's, yeah, they're, they don't have to do that. Like they really do not. So it's great that they do. That's great. I had a hard time picking which version I wanted actually, (laughs) although I, so I did end up pre-ordering the U S version from your local bookstore, but I was quite tempted to see if I could get the UK one from Waterstones because it's a pretty cover. Yeah, I know. I really love it. Um, and yeah, it is funny because there's, you, you've seen the cover and you've read the book. So, you know, there's like the UK cover, there's like two people on, um, like in like canoes or kayaks or something. And that mm-hmm. doesn't happen, but actually there was a scene in an earlier draft that was like a kayak scene that got removed. And I was like, me just being apparently extremely literal was like, do you think this is a problem? And they were like, no, it's fine. <laughs> no one's going to be furious that there's no kayak scene. It's okay. Or canoes. I don't even know what's on the cover. Like what I'm kind actual of, yeah, yeah. vessel. Yes. There are vessels. I know that much. Mm-hmm. That's um interesting that that's almost like a, like a deep cut, like the yeah. canoe or kayak scene didn't make it, but it is yeah. on the cover. Yeah. That's funny. I love that. Um, and your covers are so bright. And I think that maybe plays a role in um, them being eye-catching. Like I see them all the time on um, book displays at my local bookstore. And so I'm curious what it's been like to see your books explode on TikTok because oh I've gosh. seen them there everywhere. Yeah, it is so surreal. I mean, I don't have a TikTok. I've downloaded and deleted it like six times because like at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, I'm going to get a TikTok. That'll be fun. And then I like opened it and was like, I don't know what to do. I'm so overwhelmed. And just that's kind of the path that I went down on TikTok. But people do luckily send me a lot of the TikToks that go viral, like over on Instagram or friends will text them to me or whatever. And it is so surreal and amazing because, you know, I have an incredible team and they do such a good job marketing my book and making sure it's available and all that. But there is nothing like, like reader support to like make a book happen like that just you cannot like buy that kind of you know like it has to come from the readers like it has to be like they just love this thing and want to talk about it and it's sort of this like grassroots explosion of interest and that's just very 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 surreal um and I almost feel like I can't even internalize it it's like I'm aware I'm seeing the stacks of books that I'm signing. And I know like so many of those people probably found my books because of book talk and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's surreal. It does not feel real at all. Book talk is a wild place, Yes, but I'm excited for this book to come out next week. Yeah. uh, So we can finally talk about it and I can actually talk spoilers with people as well because that's the thing too when you read it and you just want to talk about all you know the details of this specific scene and people haven't read it and you're like well (laughs) I don't want to spoil it I know oh my gosh yeah I'm very excited that this will be in more hands next week me too and so I'm curious if there is anything that you want readers to take away from this story Yeah, I think, you know, I never am like thinking about that while I'm writing, but then usually I kind of figure out from the early readers, like what people are connecting with and kind of why the book needed to happen really. And so for this book, I feel like the, the, the thing that I really want to give readers is just that 
feeling and that affirmation that there is no one right way to be a person. And I think um, that's, you know, something I've felt at different points in my life is like, I'm, I'm failing because I'm not this or this. And like, this is what, like, this is what the, the ideal woman would be or the ideal person, the ideal writer, whatever. And it's so weird that we don't consciously really think of that, but it's still just like ingrained in us from everything around us. And I, yeah, I just want readers to, to see Nora's story as like a reminder that, that there are, there need to be different kinds of people on the planet. That's a good thing. And like, yeah, you deserve love and a a happy ending and a good story, regardless of whether you match up to anybody's ideas of what, you know, a person like you should be. That's perfect. And speaking of book lovers, I saw on Instagram that there was a little bit of a talk of fan casting for book lovers, or maybe who you imagined as Charlie and Nora. And so I wanted to ask if you had actors in mind or like people in mind, um, cause my vote would be for Oscar Isaac for Charlie. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I would, here's the thing. I don't have people in mind, but it's so interesting because my, the age of my readers is like a really wide span, which also is something that's so surreal and cool to be like, okay, like teens are reading my book, but also like 65 year olds are reading my book. And that's amazing. So it is interesting because whenever I do the fan casting thing, there's like a slew of actors where I'm like, I have never heard of this person. And when I look at them, I'm like, are they 18 years old? I have no idea. Um, so I do, I tend mentally when I'm, when I'm fan casting my own books or when people are sending me their fan casts and I'm like getting excited, it's definitely more for like (laughs) actors between 30 and 45. Like that's kind of, you know, the characters are about 30 ish, 32, whatever. I would love Oscar Isaac to be in anything I wrote. I think he is such a talented actor and such a beautiful man. And I just love, I love a firm eyebrow and that's what he's got to offer. And that's what Charlie Laster needs. So I would, very gladly take Oscar Isaac as Charlie Lastra. Let's make that happen. That would be amazing. And I enjoyed that these characters were 30 ish, Mm -hmm. um, because I selfishly am that age as well. And I, it's easier to picture if we're kind of like the same age. I totally Um, agree. And yeah, to the age now where I, I would like people to skew older, like me too. 40. I don't want 20. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so funny because growing up, I really was not that like, you know, I wasn't really the teenage girl who's like, Ooh, George Clooney, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's funny when I'm reading a, a romance novel and the characters are in their very early twenties. I'm just like picturing early 20, like er, people in their early twenties. And I'm like, they, these characters look too young for me to like buy into this entirely. It's really weird. I think I do mentally kind of just age everyone up at this point. Yeah. And I think that's interesting when you are writing for such a large, you know, group of readers that could be in their, you know, teens or all the Mm -hmm. way up to like 60 plus that, yeah, there's going to be different for all of those age groups. I find that I gravitate towards books where they are a similar age because it's just easier to, to, maybe imagine and not feel creepy. Yes, <laughs> totally. Story between, no, totally. You know, 18 year old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And it's really funny too. We were talking about, you know, reading sort of like fantasy romance. And I feel like those, like a lot of times those characters are sort of ageless. And I feel like that helps because you're like, okay, 
this person's like 400 years old. (laughs) Like, yep, that's fine. (laughs) Exactly. They're like, oh yeah, he's like a 500 year old fey male. And you're like, okay, I don't know what that means, but that's plenty old. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, we're going to have things to talk about. (laughs) Exactly. So I do have a couple of fun questions uh, quickly. I'm wondering if there's anything you're working on now. Already there, onto the next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. It's so funny. I think that there are some writers who really like hate getting asked that I am not one. I'm always like, I want to tell you everything because I'm so I'm always deeply enmeshed and like just really deep into my next book when this one comes out, you know, like that's kind of my schedule. So I am working on another um, rom-com that will hopefully be out next summer, unless I do something like accidentally write like an alien invasion into it. And my editor has to like slow me down. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about it. I can't say like very much about it at all, but it's been like such a joy to work on. It's really become my happy place. And I'm like, as soon as release stuff kind of winds down, I'm going to be back in that. So soon, hopefully I'll be talking about it openly. Yay. I'm so excited. And that's always the thing kind of in the book industry is it's so focused on like, what's coming out next. What is out in six months? What's like, what are you working on already? And we're like, wait, this book comes out next week. Let's (laughs) let's pause. I know, but that's the, that's like the curse, the blessing and the curse of being a voracious reader is that you're like, I don't know when you find an author you really love, you just read all of their stuff and you're like, okay, now I have to wait one to three years to like have another thing. And it's like something to look forward to, but it is like, it takes so little time to read a book and so long to write one. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that that's, what's hard is like, if you're putting out a book a year, that's so much work. And here you have the readers who are like, okay, hurry up. I'm ready for the next book. Yeah, I know. And sometimes I'm like, well, I could get to another one sooner, but it will be bad. And you don't want that. Exactly. And so I'm curious if there's anything you've been reading or watching lately that you've really been loving. Yeah. Okay. So I just read, um, Julia Whalen, who's my audiobook narrator. She has a new romance coming out in the summer. I don't know the exact date. It's called thank you for listening. And it's about audiobook narrators. And I love a meta meta premise and I love Julia's writing. She's so smart and her characters are just clever and interesting and really complex. And so that is a great one that everyone should look forward to. Um, although I cannot tell you the release date and I'm also reading currently, um, Isabel Cagna's debut, um, the Hacienda, that's kind of like a Gothic, like a sexy Gothic. Um, so that's really awesome. And I did just finish watching severance and I feel like it ruined my life. I'm like, like the experience that you had reading the Sarah J Moss back to back with book lovers is like for a week plus now, I've just every single night, I'm like, I wish I could watch more severance. And I Googled the creator to try and figure out if he had other stuff and I couldn't find anything else. So I'm just like, I guess I'll wait for the next year. (laughs) That's really the best and worst feeling when something is made such an like impact on you. And you're like, what do I do now? Yeah. Like that was my life for like three days. (laughs) Yeah. Until you find the next, Mm -hmm. um, I know we talked about it briefly, but I'm curious if you have a favorite Hallmark, you know, Netflix rom-com movie. Okay. All right. Let me think about this. (laughs) The titles are probably like very similar. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Okay. So there is one that really stuck with me because 
years ago, I don't know if it's Hallmark or Lifetime or what, and I do actually think it's available for streaming somewhere, but this premise was so ridiculous that I just like loved it so much. My best friend and I watched this years ago and then we talked about it for years. And so then one day we were like telling our like husbands about it and we were like, we have to find that movie and we found it. And the only way we could get it was to literally like pay like $16 or something for this movie. And we were like, we're doing it. Um, It's called Desperately Seeking Santa, but we couldn't remember that for years. So we always talked about it as Sexy Santa because that's the premise is like, This woman who works for the mall, this is amazing. This woman who works for the mall has to save the mall because the mall is like going to get shut down or something because it's not 1999, I guess. Um, And so she concocts this plan where she's like, you know how we can get more traffic at the mall so we can have a sexy Santa competition. Um, And so then they just have like a sexy Santa competition and it's so... I don't know. It just is like a delight. I'm just like, you know what? This is this, like, if we're going to churn out these Christmas movies, give me something like this that I will actually like remember the details of because it's like, it feels like a fever dream. Like this premise was concocted in a room full of people who were like, had to write 3,500 like possible titles in one hour. And they're like, just really seeking Santa. That's it. I just looked this up and it looks incredible. It's a delight. It's a delight. I mean, the, my favorite thing, this, I don't feel like this is a spoiler because I don't know if you can spoil these. <laughs> I don't but the think reason, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so, you guys. It's like an hour and 11 minutes or something probably. Okay, so they do, you know, this like sexy Santa pageant. And so this guy is like probably shirtless in the scene. I don't remember. And then they have to like talk about like what they love about Christmas or something. And he's just like, my mom always said Christmas is about family. <laughs> Like for some reason that just has stuck with me for like 10 years now where I'm like a shirtless guy in a sexy Santa competition, just up there being like, you know, I love Christmas because my mom said Christmas is about family. I don't know. It's just chef's kiss. You can't really top that. No, this looks amazing. And, um, I feel like it's picked up in recent years where like more mainstream actors are even doing these like rom-com films Mm -hmm. and you're just like but I am kind of nostalgic for the ones that were like made for tv oh yeah you know yeah right because the Netflix ones are like a little bit too good yeah there was one recently with like Brooke Shields and Carrie Elwes yeah that was so good yeah I actually (laughs) have not seen that yet but my my mom was texting me furiously being like you're gonna really like this it's so good because she's an author and she like goes to Scotland to escape. Um, oh my gosh. Like the angry fans um, <laughs> from her most recent book in the series. Like they did not like what she did. That's amazing. And um, she goes to Scotland and like is near this castle and stays at this <laughs> castle that Carrie Elwes owns. Wow. And there's like natural uh, friction and, and then romance. And it's wow. really good. <laughs> tale as old as time I like that I look forward to when it's I mean I don't look forward to when it's cold again but I will be saving that for this next winter I was gonna say does the Ohio weather impact your writing at all like I'll be a very beachy very warm scene yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah I think it's really funny because I'm usually drafting in like late fall through um through partway through mid uh, midwinter, I guess, is when I'm usually finishing a draft. So yeah, I'm sure that plays into it where it's just like, 
complete um, cabin cabin fever and just wanting to be <laughs> somewhere warm. But also, I feel like at the ch- at the seasonal change, like when it's becoming fall or winter, I also am like, ooh, it'd be fun to write, you know, a book set in the fall or in the winter. And I'm sure I will have some of those coming up. I'm sure there's always lots of weather uh, here that can inspire <laughs> things, since I feel like it changes. Yeah. From day to day. <laughs> yes, totally. I know it like was like 71 day a couple weeks ago. And then it literally snowed the next day here, which mm-hmm. I'm sure was comparable in Cleveland. Very. It's always exciting mm-hmm. to not know how to dress. <laughs> yeah, right. To just wear a hundred layers and sweat through all of them because exactly. you were wrong. Exactly. And I have one more fun question. Cool. This is just because I'm curious if you have a go-to coffee or tea or like beverage order yeah oh okay order I was thinking at at home I lately have been doing chameleon cold brew with um chocolate oat milk and it's like Mm. fun little iced mocha situation um but if I'm out I love a miel latte like a honey honey latte Mm -hmm. and I feel like sometimes there's like lavender or something in them but that's like if they have that I'm like this is going to be a good time I love that. Thank <laughs> you. I love a good fancy coffee drink. So Me too. I'm with you there. Um, although iced coffee forever, even if yeah. it's cold. <laughs> I know. I know. And also I feel like you can just drink so much more of it when it's iced. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. And so to, I'm like to wrap us up, I'm wondering for people that haven't read your books yet and definitely should, if you would recommend one to start with, I would personally vote for book lovers. Wow. But- yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to start. I think book lovers sort of splits the difference where I feel like Beach Read is a little bit sadder. I mean, it's a happy, you know, it's got a happy ending, but it's got some more like weight to it. And people we meet on vacation, I feel like is like fairly like light. And I feel like book lovers is kind of in the, in the middle and it's very, I feel like classic rom-com in a way that the other two aren't really. So it probably would be the best to start with. Perfect. And on that note, check out Book Lovers out May 3rd. We are so excited that you could join us on the podcast. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you so much, Emma. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.